All right, uh, lift off and the clock has started. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Discovery, go at throttle up. And liftoff, the final liftoff of Atlantis on the shoulders of the space shuttle. America will continue the dream. This is The Space Shot, episode 412, this week in space history for February 24th through March 1st. I'm John Mulnix. On February 24th, 2011, the shuttle Discovery lifted off one last time. Its mission was to deliver the permanent multi-purpose module Leonardo to the International Space Station. Along with this module, there was cargo, spare parts, and Robonaut 2. The Leonardo module started off its life as one of the multi-purpose logistics modules that had been to the space station a number of times. With the retirement of the shuttle fleet, it was decided that the module would be converted into a permanent multi-purpose module and left at the station by one of the shuttles. Discovery's final mission was a capstone on an incredible service life. This shuttle flew more times than any other shuttle on missions from deploying the Hubble Space Telescope to rendezvousing with the Mir Space Station to being piloted and later commanded by the first female commander of a shuttle mission. First link in the show notes is an article about Discovery and her history, so check it out. The crew of the final Discovery mission were Commander Stephen Lindsay, Pilot Eric Bowe, and mission specialists Nicole Stott, Alvin Drew, Michael Barrett, and Stephen Bowen. On a side note, Commander Stephen Lindsay had flown into space with John Glenn during STS-95. I talked about Glenn's space flights in episodes 282 and 168, so check those out if you're new to the podcast or if you would like a refresher. During the mission, astronauts performed two EVAs while docked with the ISS. The preparation for the EVAs included camping out in the airlock, and this is a procedure I talked about in episode 270. It's a really cool procedure, so be sure to check out that episode. The astronauts sleep in a reduced-pressure environment with less nitrogen, helping them avoid decompression sickness that can be a side effect of a spacewalk. On February 25th, 1969, Mariner 6 launched to Mars. Check out the show notes for a link to NASA's Mariner missions. On February 26th, 1966, the Apollo Saturn 1 201 lifted off. On a personal note, I've seen and actually touched the spacecraft that I'm talking about here in today's episode. It's on display at the Strategic Air Command Museum outside of Omaha, Nebraska. The Apollo Saturn 201 mission was the first test of the Block 1 Apollo Command and Service Module. After the command and service module separated from the S-4B second stage, the service propulsion system, or the main engine on the command and service module, was fired to increase the speed of the spacecraft in order to simulate the higher speeds of a lunar re-entry. On February 27, 2014, the Global Precipitation Measurement Satellite, a joint mission between NASA and JAXA, lifted off from Japan. 
The Global Precipitation Measurement Satellite provides worldwide rain and snow measurement coordination, which, quote, unifies precipitation measurements made by an international network of partner satellites to quantify when, where, and how much it rains or snows around the world. You can follow NASA's precipitation measurement missions on Facebook to learn more about the incredible science that's being done in orbit of our home world. We've got two quick launch notes for February 28th. The first is the launch of the Discoverer 1 satellite on February 28, 1959. The Advanced Research Projects Agency, the Department of Defense, and the United States Air Force managed this satellite program. Reconnaissance satellites were a crucial part of U.S. intelligence efforts during the Cold War. Unlike the U-2, which was susceptible to surface-to-air missiles, satellites could pass over an adversarial country without violating their airspace. I've talked about the Corona satellites and some Cold War history back in episode 160, so check it out if you'd like to know more. Let's continue with a little bit of a national security theme. STS-36 launched on February 28, 1990. The shuttle Atlantis and a crew of five astronauts lifted off on one of the most unusual orbits that a shuttle was ever launched into. The payload for Atlantis still remains classified, but there are some ideas floating around about the nature of this payload, and I'm linking to a cool two-part article by Ben Evans that details this shuttle flight further. This year we've got a special leap year happy birthday. Astronaut Jack Lausma was born on February 29, 1936. Lausma spent time in space as a member of the crew of Skylab 3, the second crewed mission to the space station. He also commanded STS-3, which was the third shuttle flight. We wish Jack Lausma a very happy, special, leap year birthday. On March 1st, 1924, Deke Slayton, one of the original Mercury 7 astronauts, was born. A heart condition kept Slayton from flying during the Mercury program, but he eventually flew into space during the Apollo-Soyuz test project. Slayton passed away in June of 1993. Now we've got some Soviet robotic history. The Soviet Union launched a series of spacecraft to Venus, two of which encountered the planet on March 1, 1966. In 1966, Venera 3 is thought to have impacted the Venusian surface. Radio contact was lost with the spacecraft, but according to NASA, it impacted the planet. The Venera 13 spacecraft was a bit luckier. The descent craft for Venera 13 entered the Venusian atmosphere on March 1, 1982. A parachute and air braking system were used to slow the spacecraft's descent through the atmosphere, a process which took about one hour. The craft was able to touch down and captured a panorama of the Venusian surface. The hellish surface environment of Venus caused the spacecraft to fail after 127 minutes of operation. It had a design life of about half an hour, so it was able to exceed its designer's expectations. Venera 13 is notable because it returned the first color pictures of the planet's surface. We go a little bit closer to home for this next mission. 
On March 1st, 2002, STS-109 launched on a Hubble servicing mission with five EVAs that lasted from 6 hours 48 minutes to 7 hours 32 minutes. March 1st is a busy day in space history. On March 1st, 2013, SpaceX launched a Falcon 9 version 1.0 rocket on an International Space Station resupply mission. CRS-2 carried experiments and supplies to the station and returned to Earth with experiments and other miscellaneous cargo. In an interesting coincidence, CRS-20 is scheduled to lift off in early March of 2020. It's incredible to think how much has changed with SpaceX over the past seven years. They've gone from not recovering any rockets to routinely proving that they can launch, land, and reuse the Falcon 9 rocket. I'm hoping that this mission has landing number 50 for the Falcon 9. NASA astronaut Scott Kelly returned to Earth on March 1, 2016, after spending 340 days in space. The purpose of this long-duration mission was to examine the effects of microgravity on the human body, which is essential for future missions to the Moon and beyond to Mars. I'll be linking to some videos on Kelly's year in space in the show notes, so check those out as well. I know this week's episode is a little bit shorter, but I'm trying to play catch up here. I will be recording the year in review episode, finally, as we are approaching March, which is basically a quarter of the way through 2020. In that episode, I'll review the 2010s and then look forward to what I'm excited about in the 2020s. I've also got my favorite space movies episode coming up as well. I just need to get that recorded and edited. I have been putting in a ton of hours lately. I've got some big expenses coming up with a new laptop purchase. My venerable 13-inch MacBook Pro that's about five years old is just not speedy enough for the video work that I want to start doing over the coming months. Apologies for me not communicating on Facebook and not posting on the podcast as much lately. It has just been an incredibly busy time. I'm down to about two to three hours of free time during my work days, and this is really cut into the podcast production schedule. So with that, I am going to try to get both of those episodes out this week. Fingers crossed. And that is it for this week. I do have a call-in number. If you'd like to ask a question or leave a comment, just dial 720-772-7988 and leave a message. I'm looking forward to sharing the questions that you may have with all of the listeners. As always, the links to everything we talked about today are in the show notes. If you're new to the podcast, I'd appreciate it if you could subscribe and leave a review. Reviews in Apple Podcasts help more people find out about the show, and they help make sure it reaches as many people as possible. Until next time, I'm John Mulnix, and I'll catch you on the flip side.